1 Corinthians chapter 12, the focus of the sermon will be the first three verses, uh, though I'll read to verse 11 for the sake of uh, context. Uh, But before we hear from the Lord, let's once again go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we come again before you, we acknowledge, uh, we confess what a privilege we have in being in your presence and sensing your smile upon us in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, dear Lord, that you would come to us now as we continue in worship of you, Lord, not as speakers, but as listeners, and as we listen to the voice of our Lord Jesus and as he speaks to us from his word, we pray that we would be conscious of his presence and of his authority and his grace and his power. We ask that you would draw us to him as individuals and as a church family. And we pray that you would bring us to kneel inwardly before him and that we would love him ongoingly and love him increasingly. The love of Jesus. We pray that we may know that love today. And indeed, know that we are his loved ones. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, first 11 verses. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. <clears throat> now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, I recall we're watching at one time a street magician uh, doing his thing. His thing, uh, And the response by some people, and you've probably seen this kind of thing, uh, they were truly amazed and bewildered by what this man did. And some said the words in response to what he was doing, he's very spiritual. Right? How could he do these things if he were not? And surely our culture is one that is confused about spiritual things. And many hunger for spiritual things. Uh, And that makes perfect sense, right? That's what we would expect. Because we're made to long for satisfaction in our souls. And fallen man indeed longs and hungers for something to meet that longing. And they try to fill it 
with very many wrong and misguided things. And the culture and the time, Corinth, was no different. Uh, the Corinthian church is made up of mostly new Christians who are struggling to live as Christians while submerged in a pagan culture. And they were struggling to keep what they'd left behind when they came to Christ behind them. Right? Those pagan ways of behavior and pagan ways of thought. And the things they struggle with are not unlike the things that we struggle with as well and that we are tempted by and we are influenced by. Paul has been addressing a problem. Problems going on there at the church of Corinth. And here in chapter 12, he begins to deal with the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, both corporately and individually. Chapter 12 begins with the discussion of what it means to be spiritual. They were ignorant concerning spiritual things. We as God's people are not to be ignorant concerning spiritual things. It's only in Christ and through the Holy Spirit and in the gospel alone, through Christ, the power provider, that we can understand these things. And we, like they, can fall into gross, imitation or impotent, pretended, lying, false spirituality, driven by the world, driven by the culture. And so this morning we're going to see from our text that we must, what we must know concerning spiritual things. And how to know those things and what follows in the next several chapters. We must know what? We must know, uh, and this is your outline uh, in the back of your liturgy, we must know false spirituality and our former spiritual folly. Secondly, we must know uh, what full spiritual blessing that we indeed have, that every believer has. And then thirdly, we must know uh, the freedom of speech, the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? The freedom of our proclamation in the power of the Spirit. But before we get into those things, I would like to uh, get ready and get acclimated to this next section of the text. Uh, this next section that we're coming to um, in 1 Corinthians. Beginning in chapter 12 that we're entering into. Um, and when you look at Corinth, at Corinth at the time the letter was written... Um, and what Corinth was like, we see that it was surrounded, as we have seen so far in so, much, so many of the interactions that Paul has in his discussions and his rebukes, it was f- surrounded by pagan spirituality, right? pagan spirituality. And so the subject of spirituality would have been very important to them, right? very important to those living at that time, it's important to their living and their thinking and their practice. And we see that Paul is dealing precisely with these very things in chapters 12 to 14. Chapter 14 appears to be dealing with the abuse of speaking in tongues. And it's my contention that these three chapters, 12 to 14, give us a chi- there's a chiasm there where we learn about, in chapter 12, spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit in general. And then in chapter 14, it's the issue of tongues. But in the center, right, in the center between these two, the discussion, the topic is the preeminent gift of the Spirit the gift of love, right? And so far from being uh, distinct or separate or out of place in this discussion, it is the core of what Paul is doing here. And so let's look at some of the setting of the time there in that Greco-Roman culture. Uh, There were people who were obsessed with gods and spiritual powers. And they they gave weight and seriousness to the one who displayed 
these powers, apparent powers. That would frequently, they frequently thought that some people were particularly enlightened and in touch with the gods. Right? And it was they who were thought to be endowed with these unusual abilities, these individuals, such as telling the future, right? or bestowing curses on people, or speaking with the deceased, and so on. And these pagan temp- temples all around the city would be frequented, and one of the reasons they would be frequented, among other things, was to gain direction from their gods, right? to gain direction for their lives. Theirs indeed was a culture that believed certain people had great spiritual gifts and insights. And many of these folks whom they thought, who thought these things, they would give ecstatic utterances. And they would work themselves up into a frenzy, into a trance-like state, and other such things during temple services. And this kind of thing, by the way, still goes on in our day uh, in other cultures. Uh, but it, it was becoming popular to seek secret knowledge, right? And this group that would do this would go on to develop and impact the church for years to come by way of error and by way of Satan's use of this thing to antagonize the church of Christ, right? These are, uh, in, in this first century, proto-Gnostics, right? And then later on, full-blown Gnosticism that you probably have heard of. But this is something core of what they were doing, they were pursuing secret knowledge, secret knowledge of life, the secret meaning of life. And I think you will rel- uh, that you'll recognize and you'll realize that these are things that are with us even down to our day in various forms. We know that there was a time in redemptive history when God spoke in many ways. Right? Hebrews 1 speaks of this. He gave the prophets divine revelations and dream, divine revelation by dreams and by visions. But at Pentecost, something changed. At Pentecost came a new age in the history of redemption where the Spirit was poured out on all believers, all of them, not just an enlightened special few. And in actuality, it is the Spirit's indwelling that characterizes those who are in Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you are indwelt by the Spirit, uh, the, the Holy Spirit. This characterizes who we are. Why is that? Because those in whom the Spirit dwells have been transferred from sin and death and bondage and darkness to holiness and life and light and freedom. Those in Christ in whom the Spirit dwells are the ones who have been transferred to freedom in Jesus. They are children of the King adopted into his family, heirs to all of glory itself. And at the onset, we must understand, it is true, some of the apostles uh, displayed sensational gifts like speaking in tongues. And with these, also other confirmatory gifts like healing and other miracles. And they confirmed what? They confirmed the preaching of the gospel. But what do we see as the primary manifestation of the work of the Spirit? What is the primary manifestation of the Spirit's work? It was producing the fruit of the Spirit, as we read about in Galatians 5. And recall the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5 is sharply contrasted with the fruit of the flesh. And it was the fruit of the flesh that was manifest in the Corinthian believers before God saved them. This was their pagan culture. This was their pagan life, characterized by the fruit 
of the flesh. So there's a contrast there that I hope you see. And the point as well is that God's gracious bestowal of his provision and his work in the ordinary, right? What we're seeing there. Those gifts of the Spirit are not characterized by sensationalistic, dramatic enthusiasm. Peace, patience, love, and so on. These are the primary manifestation of the work of the Spirit. Um, Rather, it was the mundane things, the ordinary things that go along with new lives and new living of the believers. For the believer, we must live, indeed, we must view the spirit, the spiritual, through lenses that come from the new age, right? The age to come, rather. Age to come lenses, not the spectacles of the present evil age, which is we are so apt to do and what the Corinthians were indeed doing. Paul says, no, you don't just take all of those pagan practices and move them over into your new life in Christ. That's not what you do. Paul says, no, you can't just transfer that pagan stuff and that pagan thinking and acting and that pagan spirituality into the church of Christ. So the section section here begins the matter of spiritual gifts by insisting on the lordship of Jesus Christ. No one who refuses to submit to Christ will manifest the gifts of the Spirit. They cannot. And this is the starting point for Paul. Christ's Lordship. It precedes all discussion that will follow about the spiritual gifts. And we must first understand who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for all of his people. That's the lens. That's the key for our evaluation of these things. We read that there are indeed many gifts of the Spirit. We just read them in in verses 4 through 11. And each one you recall is for what? For the sake of propping up the one doing them? For the sake of gaining him fame and acclamation? No. They're for the sake of the church. right? They're for the sake of the church. And as we've said, the greatest and most excellent of gifts is love. right? For the benefit of the body of Christ in love. One of the ways you could tell whether a practice was driven by pagan wisdom was that it focused on the individual. Right? They're putting on display their special ability, drawing attention to themselves, showing their power rather than for the sake of the church. In the body of Christ, a person's unwillingness to be invisible should draw a red flag. Even the third person of the Holy Trinity doesn't draw attention to himself and desires no focus for himself. Rather, the Holy Spirit shines on and shines light on and brings glory to Jesus. And so if God the Holy Spirit is to do that, uh, we should as well. That should be instructive for us, uh, brothers and sisters. And so this is significant. The focus and emphasis on the personal experience while ignoring the corporate aspect of the spiritual gifts uh, that built up the church in love, making us able to love one another. Right? The gifts are for the sake of the church. And when the church moves away from God's design and when it moves away from God's desire for his church, it definitely negatively imp- affects the church's health and order. And it can be catastrophic, and it has been catastrophic. So we must know concerning spiritual things 
uh, first false spirituality and former spiritual folly, verses 1 to 3. False spirituality and our former folly regarding spiritual things. Look at verse 1 there again. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And notice the opening words of this uh, first verse. They're words that we've seen before. Now concerning. right? They're not foreign to us or new, new to Paul. This shows Paul that he is starting something new, that there's a new topic coming. He's transitioning to a new section or a new idea. Right? We saw this in the, the, the same wording, the same use in uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Um, and this topic here was significant that he's introducing and transitioning to. And we know that this is the case from the length uh, of Paul's treatment of this topic. Right, Three whole entire chapters of this very long book. And Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts... Elder Peachy um, read the alternate uh, uh, verse 4 or 5, I forget, in the Old Testament reading. Um, and I'm going to change a word here as well. I don't know that it's an alternate reading at the bottom of your text, but the term added in English in this verse, or this first half of the first verse, is the word gifts. Right? It says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, that word gifts is not there in, in the original. Uh, what the text says is just one word, and it's the word spiritual, and it's a plural spirituals. Uh, there's a term for gifts in Greek that Paul could have used. It's the word uh, is where we get the word charismatic from, charismaton. Um, and we see this used in verse 4 and, and, and onward when he's discussing the spiritual gifts. But here in verse 1, this word is not used. And so a better translation here would be spiritual things. Right Now concerning spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul is about to unload What's what regarding spiritual gifts? Indeed. But he begins with what is the proper understanding of spiritual things to frame his discussion of spiritual gifts. And notice how once more Paul addresses the Corinthians. How does he speak to them? Now concerning spiritual things, brothers, right? He refers to them again as brothers. And though he corrects them and he's going to correct them and rebuke them, he maintains his love and his care for them. Once again, modeling for us what Christ modeled and commanded of us. And what we read in, in Ephesians, we are to speak the truth in love. Right? We don't sacrifice either one of those. And so he's telling them the truth in love. Now concerning spiritual things, brothers, right? they're a family. Uh, and he thinks tenderly of them. And so as noted earlier, uh, Paul is instructing them that, so that they wouldn't be ignorant regarding spiritual things. Not merely the gifts, but a broader category. Uh, and the second half of this verse, verse 1, um, is common as well from Paul. It says, I do not want you to be uninformed. And there are a handful of times that Paul uses this phrase. And when Paul says this, uh, he wants to signal to them that something important is coming. It's a cue to pay attention. Now, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then he goes. And then verse 2 You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. This is who you were, he tells them. Before the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, they were led astray by idols. And of course, scripturally, and in reality, these are not real things. 
Right? That's part of the scandal of idolatry and worship of false gods. They're not real. But they are led astray by them. Indeed, they are captive to them. And it's curious that those words there, led astray, however you were led, those are words that are related to the idea of being in prison, being bound, being a prisoner, condemned as a prisoner. And in paganism, the Corinthians, as well as we all, were captive before being set free by Jesus. In the coming words, we'll read, <clears throat> we'll read more of the treatment of idols that we see in God's holy word from places, for instance, like uh, the prophet Isaiah. But now consider um, Habakkuk, the passage from Habakkuk. Look at verses 18 and 19 once again. <clears throat> he says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! And to a stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. And remember the history of Israel and her struggle all those years with idolatry. It's the pattern of the people. Paul is making a correlation to the Corinthians in the captivity of idolatry. They are mostly new believers, remember, struggling to live the Christian life in a pagan city with all of its allurements and all of its paganism. And the point also being made is that for all of their pretended wisdom and their pretended intelligence, their true folly is displayed by following mute idols. They have no ear to hear. They have no mouth to speak. In fact, this was the level of their folly. They didn't even realize it. <clears throat> and so we're back where we started, right? Remember, remember in 1 Corinthians. Remember, Paul makes this point. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so indeed, those who professed themselves to be wise showed their utter foolishness. And this is amplified and magnified in the blazing light of the true wisdom revealed in Jesus Christ. Remember as well the prophet Elijah, the great prophet <clears throat> Elijah in 1 Kings 18. He had a particular attitude towards these false gods and towards the priests of these false gods. Remember he confronts the people on Mount Carmel <clears throat> regarding who they are going to follow. And remember he says, stop sitting on the fence and limping between two options. If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And he calls, he calls for this ordeal to show who is the true God. Isaiah, uh, rather, 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 25. 
enter into this event that's going on. And it says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, and put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. A mute idol indeed. Uh, he goes on in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel should be, shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench around the altar, as great as could, as could contain two seahs of, of seed. And he put the wood in order, and, on the, uh, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering, the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God. And that you have turned their backs, their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and all the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. And uh, uh, the Lord, he is God. And you see Elijah here mocked the priests of Baal. And he mocked Baal himself, showing the false god's impotence and Yahweh's power. Those who follow Christ are freed from being bound to that which is false. We're freed from from the false. Praise God. We are free, truly free. And that should be very liberating, dear Christian. It should be very encouraging to you all. Those things to which you previously were bound bind you no more. The Lord Jesus freed you from your idols. So concerning spiritual things, we must know false spirituality, verse 1, but we also must know the full spiritual blessing with which we have been blessed. What I mean here is that we must... uh, 
through all of our dealings with these things, remember that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There's not a blessing that is yet to remains for us. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And most importantly as well, in the context of what we're going into here, we must affirm that the Holy Spirit abides in the heart of not just some enlightened, specially gifted uh, individuals, but the, the Holy Spirit abides in the heart of every individual, every one of you. Some have commented that the Corinthians were the first charismatics. I don't know if you've heard that, uh, described that way before. Why did they say that? Because they were obsessed with spe- spectacular gifts of the Spirit. And they judged the spirituality of a person on the operation of certain gifts in that person's life. And they're not all modern charismatics are alike, right? We've affirmed that uh, up front. But some are indeed obsessed with those gifts as well, and some judge persons by those gifts. Paul is seeking to correct an error that they are guilty of. And we all need to be careful of similar things, right? Something similar. And that is not to fall into prioritizing certain aspects of our Christian lives over others. And of course, there is a tendency in our tradition to do this as well. What do we prioritize uh, and hold in pride over others, right? It's our knowledge. Our knowledge, right? It's the big head, little heart syndrome. And it should not be, right? There is sometimes pride born out of theological precision. We indeed, dear Christians, should seek and pursue theological purity and precision and correct, concise, clear doctrine absolutely all day long. But those things should not lead to pride. They should lead to humility. They should lead to humility. What does Paul go on to say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I have all knowledge and have not love, I am nothing. Nothing is what he says. Love is prioritized by the apostle over all the gifts. Love, the gift of Christian charity, Christian love. The Corinthians pursued gifts, but not with equal zeal, not with equal eagerness. And they certainly weren't prioritizing Christian love. One is not superior because of the sensational gifts they have that others do not. This simply leads to what? Leads to the divisions that Paul begins the, the book talking about and chastising them for. And the big picture is that the Holy Spirit abides in the heart of every believer, every one of them. All Christians. You belong to Jesus. You've been united to Him in faith. He is your life. The Holy Spirit abides in your heart. All Christians have come to faith by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in their heart. The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts and unites, unites us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is actively operating in the life of every believer without exception. And this is true. And some were denying this. All believers have the Holy Spirit working in them and have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So we must know concerning spiritual things, false spirituality, and also the full spiritual blessing that we have. And we also must know, thirdly, the freedom speech, the freedom of our speech in the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Verse 3. Verse 3, 
It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Right, this is Paul's chief point. It's his chief point. They thought that they were wise regarding spiritual things, while all along, in reality, they had no knowledge. And we draw from this that we, uh, what we say regarding spiritual things shows we are fo- if we are following folly or if we've been given true wisdom. When Paul refers to the saying there, Jesus is a curse that no one says, uh, <coughs> um, no one speaking in the Spirit of God can ever say, Jesus is a curse. Uh, what is he referring to there? What's the reference? Well, part of the gospel is that Jesus Christ indeed became a curse for us, his people. Right? Galatians 3.13, Jesus became a curse for us. And perhaps someone giving an ecstatic speech there at Corinth wound up distorting what this meant, all the while ascribing this distorted statement to the Holy Spirit, giving the credit to the Holy Spirit. And there are other theories about what Paul was referring to here. But the point is, uh, they were saying that it came from the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. But Christ is Lord over all. And so conflict within the Godhead is an impossibility. But that's what you end up having if the Spirit denied the Lordship of Jesus. Right? The proclamation, this distorted proclamation that some were giving. And in reality, we read next that it is the Holy Spirit who brings us to affirm that Lordship of Jesus. And so neither they nor we could do so while we were still led by mute, feckless idols. No ability to do so in truth and in sincerity. So what Paul is getting at here is that the saying, Jesus is Lord, is a real, true confession of faith only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a real, true confession of faith only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is He who creates faith. It is the Spirit who grants wisdom into spiritual things, otherwise and apart from which are hidden. And it's only a Spirit-indwelt person through the power of the Spirit speaks these words with a full sense of meaning. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And making that confession, brothers and sisters, what are we confessing? That he is creator, that he is redeemer, that he is the exegete of the Father. He is the fullest revelation of the wisdom and the power of God. And this assertion of the lordship of Christ is the basis for rightly understanding the gifts of the Spirit at which we will look the next few weeks. But for this morning... And as we close, let us grasp that understanding spiritual things, Paul's main point here, it means understanding first and foremost and foundationally that Jesus is Lord. It is to Jesus who we must go if we desire wisdom. True wisdom comes from Christ. Wisdom is not found in gurus or workouts or sensational exercises and outbursts. It is not found in the culture certainly not found in politicians or self-help books or daytime talk shows or podcasts or whatever it might be. All of these things and more our culture seeks for wisdom. Not unlike ancient 
Greco-Roman culture did. We don't need to seek secret knowledge or a secret key of life. We've been given all that we need in Jesus. All that we need. And, dear Christian, when we profess that Jesus is Lord, that is precisely what we're saying. That in Jesus we have everything that we need to be saved from the bondage and guilt of sin. And as you go, brothers and sisters, from here today, you must make one more profession that is all important. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can make this true and honest profession. And in essence, when you make this profession, you are saying that Jesus is Lord. More to the heart of it, that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Is that the profession of your hearts this morning? Is that true of you? Can you say that in honesty and sincerity? Jesus is my Lord. That is the most important transition of all. If not, listen to his call. Bend your knee to him. Flee to him for forgiveness and life and peace. And if you can say, if you can say, Jesus is my Lord, Oh, praise our good and gracious and merciful God. Praise Him. Praise Him that your life is hidden with Christ in Him. May this be a reminder. And may this reminder indeed bless you as you take it back into your week. May you delight to spread His fame throughout the city. And may we all, dear Christians, professors of Jesus, be strengthened anew by the powerful indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we seek Jesus with all of our lives. Amen. Let's pray.